some visitors. Can we give them a warm welcome? Thank the Lord. We have one design and one purpose, and I feel that it's to what I have been called. And so many of my sermons, messages, are going to be at the same subject, and uh, sometimes some repetition. Repetition is a great teacher, great teacher. I know when we were kids, and I don't know if they do this anymore with with math now. Um, it's really a, a different thing how they're approaching math, but we took the little cards, you know, two times two and and three times three and just, you know, all of those, and we learned them and learned them and learned them and stuff, but it was repetition. You don't learn something like that one time. You just look at it once and you're good. No, it's repetition. And sometimes the Word of God doesn't quite sink in exactly where it needs to be in our life. And so a little repetition does us good. Ronnie made a good point I think a couple Sundays ago. He said, if what you're hearing in every sermon sounds the same, God's trying to talk to you. <laughs> Hello. Because we, we, we speak a variety of different directions and in, in, in things. And we have a central theme, and that central theme is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care to be here without him. I certainly don't want to try and live a Christian life without the Lord. There's, there's, no, there's no hope of success. If we focus this church, any sermons or teaching, that is not centered on Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So I want to go to a place this morning. It's kind of strange. You, I'm sure you've read it, reading through the Bible, but this is a sort of strange setting. Is Isaiah the 66th chapter. Isaiah 66. Not something that we would normally read or even find a text. I don't know if I've ever taken a text out of this chapter. It's the last chapter of Isaiah. This will be his last word as he closes this, what we now know as a book that was a prophecy and is a book of prophecy and a writing to the children of Israel and to the heritage of the Lord. There's chapter 66. This first little part we were familiar with, the first verse. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? Now you have to know that by the time of Isaiah, the temple's already built. And so this question really goes beyond just a synagogue or a, a place of worship. Verse 2, for all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at thy word, at my word. Verse 3. He that killeth an ox is if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burned the incense as if he offered or blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them because when I called, none did answer. And when I spake, they did not hear. 
But they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. In verse 5, we'll finish this reading here. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. Kind of a strange sort of a text, but but I think as we kind of go through this a little bit, you'll begin to understand what the Lord is trying to say in this prophetic word. Lord, we just come before you now. If I can do anything, Lord, it would be to preach Jesus Christ. It would be, Lord, to the opening of our eyes, not to religious stuff, not to church stuff, but the opening of our eyes to the Lord and Savior, our Christ. We pray as the word goes out this morning, Lord, touch hearts. As the word goes out, I pray that you'll clarify some things in our life. And guide us in your word, we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. The first part of this text that says, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. I want to bring this question back up because last week I said, Does God have a mouth? Does God have a mouth? So I want to ask this question Does God have limbs? Limbs, arms, legs, hands, feet. And so Pastor Rodney's preaching Sunday night after we got done, and, and he just touched on Isaiah 53, and this is the very same thought. Who will believe our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord. So God must have limbs. We have mention of it in the Old Testament several times about his hands, his feet. We just mentioned that the earth is his footstool. So, Pastor, that must mean that God has feet if the earth is his footstool. And so we envision in our mind this great, big, humongous feature of God who is sitting in a heavenly throne, huge in the stars and heavens, and resting his feet upon the earth. And, and so if we take that literally as physical feet, then, then uh, also there are places in the Old Testament that talk about the hands of God. I remember David saying, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, then what is man that you are mindful of him? So, so we see God, maybe he's sitting there huge, and he's just hands are outstretched, fingers, and almost like this see-through, um, you know, how you outline a picture when we were kids. We'd outline a thing. It's God sitting in this outline, and, and he's kind of spirit, but, but he's physical too. And, uh, but one of the problems that we get to is that if we're going to take all of these things as a, in a literal sense, then we, we have a problem because God also has feathers. I will cover you with my feathers. So here's this God. He's got big, huge, and he's got feet, but, he, but he's covered with feathers. So, so that's an interesting thing. It's easier for us to see God in man's likeness than it is for us to see man in God's likeness. We were created in the image of God and not vice versa. See, one of the points of communism says, and atheism, is that God is a creation of man. That man, in his own imagination, created God, which is absolutely the reverse of the roles. God, in his imagination, created man. But it's easier for us to see God in a physical sense. In Deuteronomy, the, four, uh, the fourth chapter, and I have worked a little bit on this last week, but I need to do it again because God neither has a physical mouth nor does he have hands and feet and fingers and arms and feathers. But Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, 
when God is trying to establish for them the, I would say, the old covenant doctrine you're going to find in Deuteronomy. And, of course, we know in Deuteronomy 6.4, what is Deuteronomy 6.4? Does everybody know? The Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, our Lord God is one Lord God, and you must worship him that way. And so, uh, but in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, and he's setting down for them doctrine for the Old Testament church, as it were. He says this, don't make God out in any similitude at all. Neither make him in the similitude of male or female. And he says that specifically. Because God's not to be made out in terms of flesh, male or female. Neither of any beast of the field, neither of any fowl of the air. God is not made in the likeness of any of these, nor is he made in the likeness of man. So God is that spirit, and God doesn't have a form. Jesus said to the Jews, I remember this, he said to them, you have neither heard him nor seen him at any time. You have not seen his fashion or his shape at any time. So trying to make God out to a likeness of any kind. So if we look in the Old Testament and it says that God has an arm, who shall believe the report of the Lord? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? There must be another meaning besides just a physical arm. Is everybody okay? Say amen. So what I want to say is trying to visualize God in fullness in an Old Testament time is to dismantle revelation. It's to take revelation apart. If we're going to look at God in the first sense of who he is before revelation, we must dismantle everything that God has said about himself. we got to take it apart. We've got to put it back, peel off the layers, peel off the layers, until finally we get to Genesis 1 where we know absolutely nothing about God. We know nothing about his character. We know nothing about his person in Genesis, the first chapter and the first verse. There is no revelation. Revelation begins at Genesis 1.1. And God begins to reveal himself in Genesis 1.1. Before that, we have absolutely nothing to know. There is no way we can understand God. There's no way we can visualize God. And there's a lot of people that try to go back. They want to go back to God in Genesis 1-1 and really, really have a relationship there <coughs> with the eternal creator in Genesis 1-1. But I want to tell you something this morning. We have a greater revelation than Genesis 1-1. We have a revelation that supersedes anything that you can see in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. We need only to go to John, the first chapter. Genesis, the first chapter, will tell us about God began his creation. But John, the first chapter, will tell us what was in the heart of God when he began that creation. And what was in the heart of God was not only to create man and create a world and create the animals and create a system. That was not only in the heart of God, but it was to reveal himself to mankind. And God creates this creature called man, but he doesn't leave him ignorant. He begins little by little to teach him, to show him who God is. I don't believe that, that the, the, the first one, well, Adam had... I think maybe a special insight, but after after Adam and then those coming after him, that they don't know that they're just they're blinded to so many things about God. But as he begins to reveal the clearness and fullness, and we get a vision of who God is, not some great outline sitting in the stars with, with his feet propped up on the earth, but we have a better, better visual of who he is than that. So in John 1, we see God had an intention 
for this whole thing and begins to lay out just exactly what God's intention was. When John writes, we've come all the way through the Old Testament. And there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that we learn about God. There's some things there that, that we go back and discover and, but it's all in a revelation sense. It's, it's yet to come. It's those things that God is revealing about himself. So I say this this morning. If you base your relationship with God in an old covenant, you have a misunderstanding of his total intention. There's some folks that are still locked in the old covenant. And they can't seem to get out. Said, well, you know, that's... God in the old covenant, isn't that God back there? Isn't, isn't he the, the, the mighty one, the mighty father of an Old Testament? And I'd say yes with that. But we're not locked in an old dimension because revelation didn't stop in an old dimension. It didn't stop with Moses. It didn't stop with David and the psalmist. It did not stop with Isaiah. But it kept rolling on and on and on because God had not completely revealed himself to mankind in an Old Testament time. So if I try to know him in an Old Testament wisdom and knowledge... I'm going to end up as some of the other religions. And I don't want to say bad. I think there's some good people that, that are in, for instance, Seventh-day Adventists. I think there's some, I've met some really good people. And I think some of them love the Lord, but they, they're locked in an old dimension, but haven't cleared that to get in a new dimension. They've got some revelation, but they haven't taken all revelation. And I can't see God in full revelation in an Old Testament time, even though God was working, even though he's there, even though things are going on that, that is the design of God. But yet the revelation is still going forward. And now we get to this time, even Isaiah's in, in the 66th chapter. And what has happened is that God, as he continues to reveal himself People are blown away. Doctrines are blown apart. People don't understand what God's doing now because he is, he's, he's going forward by his preceding word. He's not stopping where they're at. He's not, he's not holding up in an Old Testament. He's not holding up with an old prophet, but he is proceeding. He is marching on. Revelation is going on, and they are literally blown away when God ratifies again who his person is and and his personal appearance will absolutely blow them out of the water. Every preceding word, Matthew 4 and, John, and Luke 4, Jesus in temptation. It has been written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeding. And I'm going to take that this morning as what God has been building prophetically. What God had been building in Revelation. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth. Well, there, Pastor, so I can go back into the Old Testament and claim a promise there. And a lot of them are doing it. And here's a good one for you. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. No, they got stopped in an Old Testament word and they didn't proceed any further. There's some things that were for that time and for that era, but God is not stopping there. He's not resting there. He's not quitting there. God is going to reveal and reveal and reveal to every generation, to every prophet, to every new church that comes up. God is revealing and revealing and revealing and so there is a proceeding word of God. We want to grab the Bible and say, this is the word of God. And uh, Smiley grabbed every Sunday morning. I want you to repeat after me. This is my Bible. It, I can have what it says I can have. And he goes through a whole mantra of all kinds of things. But the problem with that is, if we don't understand a preceding word, we'll lock ourselves in an Old Testament promise that will never come to pass in our life. Now we're mad at God because he said it and he didn't do it. And we didn't understand the preceding word of God. 
Yes, God stopped there. Yes, God stopped on Mount Sinai. Yes, God stopped and talked to David. But he only stopped for a season and then he moved on again because he has a preceding word. It's not an empty word for a past gone generation. In fact, God is not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. He's not dealing in the dead. He's dealing in life. He's dealing in a preceding word that is life and it's newness of life. I love the idea of a preceding word of God. Let me say this, that Revelation was working forward all the time, preceding to, working to a finality. The Greek New Testament has a word that you recognize as being the end. We call it end times. In fact, this word has to do, it even is there in the statement, be ye perfect. It's the word teleos, which shows closure. It shows fullness. It shows the end of a thing. And so there is this proceeding to the end. You're not at the end. You're not in the end. But teleos, and, and I guess we can liken it to telescope. We can see something out there that we can't see with the naked eye. You, you've got scopes on your guns and and. Now you can see whether it has horns or it doesn't or how big it is, and, and, but you can't see it with the naked eye, but, but it's being revealed to you through, through a telescope of time. And when I look at Genesis 1, God set down a teleos when he created the heaven and the earth, and we find it in John 1 because God had an intention for that creation and if you could have looked down through the telescope of time, you would have understand what the full revelation of God is because there is an end to, 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 uh, to, to his revelation. There, there's a finality. There's a closure, a completeness, a finish, a perfectness to everything that God has attempted to do. There is a finality. A lot of us believe that finality is heaven. That God created man so he could take him to heaven. Many people believe, you know, most of the, a lot of the Christian songs will talk about, you know, heaven, streets of gold, and, and all the things that, you know, don't you want to go there? I just heard that song the other day. Don't you want to go there? I don't want to go there to walk on streets of gold. Um, don't you want to go there? You know, you'll have your own. I don't want a mansion. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to live in a house alone. That sounds more like hell than heaven. You know, we're going to be hermits in heaven. Every one of us have our own little thing we crawl into. and No, it doesn't, this is not a picture. What the problem is, is that we haven't seen the completion of God. We haven't seen where revelation is going. Revelation is going to heaven. That's just a resting place, maybe an abiding place for something else. Heaven is not the goal. Man, I bet somebody needs to tweet that. Heaven's not the goal. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is the goal. And so when I look at Talios, God has set a completion, the conclusion of a thing, and everything else is building to that conclusion, which we call revelation. And so let's look at Isaiah 28, 9 real quick. If you have your Bibles or he'll put it up on top there. Isaiah 28, 9. And whom shall he teach knowledge? Speaking of the Lord, who shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Watch this. Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. We find that in the New Testament, right? 
I think Pastor Ronnie just said something about either last time or the time before, is that God does not take us on to revelatory things when we're drinking milk. Milk is for infants. And I feel bad about that, infants, because I love milk. The colder it is, the better. If it has a little bit of ice in it, oh, man. And I love it. Now we have a milk cow, and, and, and we're getting into, and I've been a little hesitant. You know, I just love my calls so much that it's just hard for me to get to the cow thing. But we're getting there, and, and it's delicious milk. But, but when the Bible talks about milk, it's talking about those who are infantile. Infantile, and then in the book of Hebrews, uh, infantile in the word of God. We must go on. Because an infant, an infant only understands a couple of things. One of them is that they're hungry. And the other one is that they're cranky. And that's about it. And they're going to cry because they're hungry. They're going to cry because they need to be changed. And that, that, That's about an infant. And, oh, Lord, in the church, sometimes we wonder, Lord, when do people grow up because they just get hung up on the same and never move to another dimension of revelation in Christ Jesus? And, it, and it's, it's a tough thing because, because you can't understand it. You can't get it here. The Scripture said, I'm only going to teach knowledge to those. I'm only going to give uh, to understand doctrine to those who are weaned from milk. And so we see the preceding word of God, it really becomes more than an optional thing. It becomes a necessity in verse 10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. Let me, let, me, let me just say this about, just judge yourself on this. If you don't know any more than you did 10 years ago, you probably need to put the bottle down. Hello. I'm making people happy at me now. And, Lord, I want revelation, so I'm going to come up. We'll get the anointing oil, and we're just going to slap it on your head. And boy, I tell you, God's going to begin to pour into you revelation. No, it isn't going to work that way. It's going to work a little here and a little there, a line upon a line. Boy, I've been going to church for a lot of years, and I'm going to tell you something. There's something to get every time you go. There is a line there. There is a precept there. But you're not going on until you hear the last precept. You can't build on a precept if you don't have a precept. And so God lays down a precept. And when you begin to say, yes, Lord, I love that revelation, put it in my life, and help me to understand that then the next time he lays another block in the building it's just like building a brick building you can't build it without the, the bricks that are on the lower part and say I'm just going to build, build the top part it isn't going to work so God lays down a line of revelation and understanding and to whom to whom is it that the, the word of the Lord is going to be revealed it's going to be those who stay contrite and humble before the Lord those are the ones we read in, in Isaiah 66 those are the ones that are going to learn a thing now, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is hiding behind lies. The rulers of Jerusalem are hiding behind falsehoods. And let me tell you why. They didn't receive the preceding word of God. They took a Moses word of God. But like Pastor Rodney said, they didn't take an Isaiah 53 word of God. But that's a long ways down the road. Can you see where I'm going? Moses was there. God ordained it there, yes. But his word doesn't stop there. It proceeds on. And if you don't get into Isaiah 53 to find out who the Savior is, you're stuck back with Moses. And why do you think they don't accept Jesus? Because they have not received a preceding word of God. 
They've stayed back where Moses was and can't see. They're infantile. They're drinking milk. They refused the preceding word of God. But look at verse 16 in this chapter. It says, But therefore saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure uh, foundation. That he, he that believeth shall not make haste or be ashamed. The deal is, is that God is laying a stone, but if you don't get to the revelation, you'll never know who the stone is. You'll be back with Moses. You'll be following the law. You'll be having your temple worship. You'll be having sacrifice. You're going along there, but God has left that place. God has gone forward. He's putting a stone down. He's putting down a cornerstone that everything is going to be built on. They didn't have it back there. They didn't know what it was, and they won't know what it is until they receive the preceding word of God, which is going to teach you who the cornerstone is. Oh, it's easy for us. We just look back in the scripture and, you know, it's no problem. It's right there for us. It's named out for us. But for them, for them, they had to receive, they had to accumulate the ongoing preceding word of God. Failure to accumulate the ongoing revelation given here a little, there a little, it leads to rejecting the stone. And the builders rejected the stone. Paul said later, if they just had known, if they had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't know because they didn't follow the word proceeding out of the mouth of God. I guess I draw a point here. We never stop in our Christian walk. Can you say amen? Cha-chink, I got it in drive now. I've got the pedal down. I'm just going to put it on cruise, and I'm going to cruise into heaven. That's not a good theory. God's trying to speak a preceding word in your life. Where is that preceding taking me from? Out of milk, strong meat, or from men and women? And so God is trying to take us to a place. I, man, I love this because I don't care who you are or where you are right now. God is trying to lead you by his preceding word. And where's it going to be? It's going to be to a better place, more understanding. It's going to be that when you crack that word open, that some things jump out of there that you never saw before. So back to Isaiah 66, and, and uh, the Lord's going to paint a picture by Isaiah here that it's going to show the things that are in the past, and it's going to show the failure of progressive revelation. And so you really wonder, when the Lord does appear, the Lord comes into his temple, and they're still doing the things of Moses. And the Lord can see they're not receiving him. Here's what it looks like. To God, it looks like when they killed an ox. You know, the ox in the Old Testament, he was the type for the sin offering. They killed an ox, and God saw it as though they had murdered a man. Disdain. God hated it. They're still killing oxes. And when they brought a lamb and they cut the throat of the lamb and it bled out and, and at one time it was beautiful before God. At one time it showed a picture of what was to come in progressive revelation but now it's as though they cut the neck of a dog and he finds no pleasure there. He finds no purpose there because revelation has brought them out of that place and they have not followed. They have not come along with God. And then he says about your 
the blood of an oblation offering that you would bring and catch that blood of the lamb and bring that before the Lord. He said, to me, that's like swine's blood. And you know that a swine in the Old Testament was the forbidden animal and, and uh, they, they would have nothing to do with swine. But God looks at that and says, look, because you have not come along with the revelation of God because you don't want to see him any way other than what you had way back when. It makes me sick. It's revolting to God. And when they burnt incense to him, and listen, they were doing all the right stuff, and they were in church, and they had their hands raised, and they were saying the right things. But God looked at that and said, you haven't come along in any revelation in your life, and you have no understanding. And I look at what you're doing as revolting. And so God sees them that when they burn the incense, says as though they're not burning it even to him they're burning it to an idol because really in their mind they have making God out to be an idol anyway and instead of coming along in revelation to see who he is to follow him in revelation they have kept this idol idea of who God is I don't know if you listen to Christian how many here listen to Christian music I mean Caleb or something else um, well, Caleb sometimes not very Christian. But what you're going to see in a lot of those songs is this kind of infantile understanding of God. It's not a God that's come alongside and changed my life. It's not a God that took me out of the mess that I was in and set my feet on a solid rock and I'm living my life for him. No, it's, it's, a, it's some kind of a cushy God who just loves everything and everybody and, and it doesn't matter who you are and what you are, God loves you. And I would say to that this morning that that kind of thinking, God, it makes it's repulsive to God. That's not what he designed for our life. That's not where he's going to leave us. Hey, you might get saved when you're in a terrible condition and you You've got a lot of sin in your life and there's a lot of things that need to fall off of your life but you're not staying there by the grace of God the revelation of who he is is going to take you farther than just that little sin that you've been living in all your life he wants to reveal himself to you he wants to show his person to your life so even though God did ordain the sacrifice of oxen and lambs and various offerings. It only represented a type of the true. Of the true. So with the fullness of his divine revelation incarnate, God became flesh and dwelled among us it was yet to be in an Old Testament time, but yet they could view it, just get glimpses by revelation. And I loved it. God loved David. David didn't want to stay where he was. If you look at him spiritually, he made some mistakes. He did some wrong things, but he always had this insight of something beyond him, that there was something coming after him, that there was a lineage coming after him, that somewhere down the line that the Lord was going to appear. That was always in his heart. And because he was revelatory, I believe God increased him and God touched him and God moved with him because he had a heart after God. Can you say amen? So all these things must happen so that the latter house is greater than the former house. I am so glad this morning that I don't live in the Old Testament. And God had his way back there and, and they did everything that they did, but that was a, that was a, a, a former house. That was a house that, that Paul looks at that thing and said, it's fading away even now. 
in his lifetime. It's going away because God had something greater to reveal. And I'm so glad this morning that we've come into a completion, a fullness of everything that God wanted to reveal himself to mankind. You're going to find it in Christ Jesus. He is the teleos of everything that God tried to reveal in an Old Testament time tried to show the prophets. He tried to show the psalmist. He tried to show the law that coming was greater than what was happening in their time. And Jesus came and he is the completion. He's the fullness. He is the teleos of all things. It happened in him and all things ended in him. We don't now have to search for a revelation beyond Christ. Somebody said, well, Jesus is going to introduce us to the Father. We just haven't been reading accurately because the same one I'm talking about and reading out of this morning said that Jesus is the everlasting Father. And when you begin to understand that all the revelation of God is found in Him, and that's why Paul said all the fullness of the Godness dwells in him bodily. Everything that God wanted to show mankind, beginning at Genesis 1, beginning at Adam, beginning there at all the prophets and Abraham and Moses and David and, and all those prophets that came on. God was trying to show them something they could only get a glimpse of. But thank God now you and I have a full disclosure of who God is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in flesh, in body, in blood, and he dwelled among us. If you can't receive it in one thing, God will He'll show you another thing to compare it to, but it's all going to be the same thing. It's all going to be the same revelation because that is the completion. It's the end of revelation. Christ is the end of all revelation. And then Paul says, Oh, that I might know him. Didn't he meet him on Damascus on the way there? Didn't he see the light shine down? Didn't he hear the voice? But what Paul understood is what I'm saying this morning, that when God begins a Genesis 1 in your life and he begins a new creation in you, He's got one purpose, and that is to reveal Christ over and over and over and over until you see him for who he is in your life so that you know him more than the time that you came to an altar, that you know him more than you did a few years later, that Jesus Christ continues to be the reality that we're seeking after. I'm seeking after one thing, and that is Christ Jesus revealed in my life life. I'm not seeking after gifts and signs and wonders. I'm not even seeking after heaven. I'm seeking after the Lord of the heaven and where he is. The presence of God in heaven are for me. Amen. So let me run through this quickly. You've heard me preach on all of these things. But God is going to use allegories Because the human mind functions very good if we can draw a picture. If we can get a mental picture of the way things are, it helps us. They call it visualizing. I watched um, just recently, and uh, I don't know his life and, and whatever, but Phil Mickelson is, is trying to win another major golf. I don't know if you all care about golf or anything. It really doesn't matter, but, you know, I just like to watch it some, especially when Phil's golfing. Phil hasn't done anything for quite a few years. He's won a lot of Masters in, in, in different tournaments, and he hasn't done anything for a long time. 
But I noticed something that he was doing now, and the commentator says, before he takes that shot, he'll address the ball, and then he gets back. And he's standing there. I'd hate to golf behind him. I hate slow golfers. But he's standing there. And he's looking. Stands and looks and waits. They said he is visualizing his next shot. And if you can visualize it, you're more apt to do it. So the Lord comes speaking to us in parables. But all the parables are is a visualization of the preceding word of God. It's just so you can understand it in physical terms because we're made up that way. If we can visualize it, kind of, kind of get it. So they ask him, Lord, why do you speak in parables? He says, well, well, I'm speaking in parables for one thing, to hide it from those who really don't want to know. But to you, it has been revealed the kingdom of God. And so he'll talk about wheat. He'll talk about building. He'll talk about sowing fields. He'll talk about all kinds of things because it helps us to understand. But it's all to one point. It's not about fields. It's not about wheat. It's not about buildings. It's not about foundations. It's about Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this, let me run through this real quick. The end of all revelation the teleos of all things. And he will call himself, the book of Hebrews, it says, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we think, well, that's a guy writing a book. But no, it's really not. It's the word archegon. The word archegon is a person who designs it. They not only design it, but they lead it. So he's not only the draftsman, he not only draws up the plans, but he's also the builder. And so if you get a picture of that, you're getting a picture of completion, that he's the author and the finisher and everything in between. And you finally get to that finish in your life, that's because you met the author and he began to reveal himself time after time, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. And you begin to know him in a better, more clear way than you did previously. Can everybody say amen? Do you see what I'm saying this morning? Is that God is revealing, but he is revealing himself as those finished products of everything that faith is. He's the great high priest. And so he's going to parallel that with what they're doing down at the temple. They've got their high priest order and they're doing their thing and they're rejecting the cornerstone that is Christ. But yet now he's going to draw them a parallel is that he's not just a priest. He's not just a high priest. He is the great high priest. In other words, he's over all the conduct of religion. He's over all the conduct of the church. He's over, he's head, and he is the great high priest. He's over every priest and every high priest because, again, he is the teleos. He is the completion of all the priesthood of God, and he is entered into the holy of holies and not the holy of holy on earth. He never went in. They didn't allow him in there. He was not their high priest. But thank God, he is our great high priest. He has entered into the holy of heavens. He is in the realm of heaven here this morning. He can be with us this morning because he's in the holy realm. He entered not into that thing made of hands and flesh. Who will build me a house, the Lord says. But I will build a house and I will live in the place where I can talk to my people. And he's here this morning. Come on, say amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You see, David's 23rd chapter, 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How many of you have said that over and over in troubled times? The Lord is my shepherd. It's what David knew. David just didn't know what Peter knew. 
when he quoted in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, his epistle, when the great chief shepherd appears. See, David saw him as a shepherd, but he didn't know him as the chief shepherd. David has an understanding a little bit of what might happen and what's going on, and he, and he understands some revelation, but the fullness that is in Christ Jesus would read like this. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He, he restores my soul. Come on this morning. It's not just a God out there somewhere, but he has been revealed. He has a name. He has a personage. Jesus is my shepherd. Thank you, David, for the Psalm 23. But we're taking it to another level. Jesus, Yeshua, he's my shepherd this morning. I don't have a God that I don't know out there somewhere. And he's up in heaven and off and we haven't learned about him. But we have a revealed Jesus Christ who is our shepherd. Yea, though I walk through a valley of the shadow. Jesus, you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I have to go back to an old revelation. I've got a new revelation that my Christ is my shepherd. Can you say amen? Oh, that's good stuff right there. He's the mediator of both God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who is both God and man. There's only one that could be the proper mediator for you and I. And that's someone who was man. He knows about man. And that's someone who is God. And he knows about God. And he bridges the gap between us and where he is. He himself in his own body laid down on the tree. He has, he has bridged that gap for you and I. Jesus Christ is our mediator. Not an ox. Not a goat. Not a lamb. Not a blood offering. Not an incense. Jesus Christ is our salvation. He has bridged it all. The completion of the mediator, the mediation, the teleos mediator, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's no one else that can run interference for us. I've got a sin problem and nobody can help me. But there's a mediator. Wow. I can't make myself right with God. You know, I'm going to go on a fast. I'm going to go on a go on a, a, and pray and, 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 you know, do a lot of Bible reading. And that might be all good, but I've seen people do that. They never got any closer to God because that's not where the revelation is. The revelation is in Jesus Christ. And I say this morning, I set my sight, I set my sail, I set my heart, my mind upon this one thing. Jesus Christ and Him alone is going to be satisfactory revelation for my life. He's the sole supreme judge. I know if I make a mistake, John said under the church, he said, brothers, I write to you that you don't sin. It's God's will that we don't live in sin. Can your church say amen? And maybe even hesitated and took a breath. But, but if you do, which is not the case for Christians. We don't live in sin. But if you do, we have a righteous judge. He's not only the judge, he's the advocate lawyer also. If I fall, men might be disappointed, but I don't fall before men. If I arise, men might be patting me on the back and excited about that, but I don't rise before men. I rise before my judge. He's the judge of my life. His word is supreme. What he says is going to go. It doesn't matter what men say and men think. What God says is going to happen in my life. He's my judge this morning. I'm glad 
Now, I don't have an earthly judge, but I have a heavenly father who is full revelation judge. He is the teleos. He's not just a Supreme Court judge. He's the judge of heaven and earth in all time. Amen. Let me hurry. We're just getting close now. He's the king of glory. See, the Lord's just showing different allegories for us to identify with. He's the king. He's the king of glory. We are, at best, we're servants. We're under his realm. And we are servants this morning. But he's ruling, constant, sovereign. If there is a question in the kingdom, it doesn't go to some phony apostolic council. If there's a question in the kingdom, no one else gets to decide it and make a determination on it because he's still the king and what he says is coming down the line. What he says about the church is coming down the line. What he says in his word is coming down the line. And he's king and he's Lord. I'll never be king. I don't want to be king. I just want to be a subject unto him and say, Lord, you reign. And we sing the song, he reigns on high. He's king of glory. He is the Savior Redeemer. Listen to this. You don't have another choice. We like to have choices, you know. Kay asks me sometimes, what do you want for dinner? You know, Give me a choice. And I say, what are my choices? What do you want to fix? You know, and then sometimes we'll get our heads together and we'll land on the same thing. You have a choice. You go down to the car lot. You don't like this car. You don't like that one. It's the one you want. That's, that's you got a choice. You're out trying to find a house and you got a choice. Got several of them there. You can buy which one you like. You go to the suit shop and you get to pick out your suit, what color you want, and get the shoes you like. You have choices. Everybody's got choices. Let me tell you about a savior. He's not just a choice, he is the teleos. He's the completion of salvation. You don't have another choice. You say, well, I don't want Jesus, but I want God. No, sorry, mom, wrong answer. You're not getting anywhere with that because he's the only choice. He's got a name that's above every other name. He's got a name that there is no salvation in any other name but the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the only choice. He is the teleos of salvation power. Man, that's exciting to me and a few others that are here this morning. He's the Savior Redeemer. Thank God he's the sin killer. Oh, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, Paul says. Don't let sin reign. No, no, no. We've got one that can kill sin. It was there at Calvary that sin's power over me was taken away. I want to tell you something this morning. You don't have to sin anymore. Jesus is the sin killer. You don't have to be chained down to your mistakes and failures. You don't have to go back to an old life. Jesus is the sin killer. Just walk with him. He's going to dissolve the sin out of your life. He's going to dig out the problems out of your life. Keep letting him reveal himself over and over and over to you. And he will do exactly that in you. He is the holy and anointed one. By him alone we are made holy. I'm not righteous in myself. There's none righteous, no, not one. But he's made us holy. Do you know that the word for saints in the New Testament is the same word, root word for Holy Spirit? Hagios. How did I get holy? I'm just a I'm just a human here. How in the world could I expect to be holy? But in Christ Jesus, he is the teleos of holiness. It's not whether, and I'm going to get on open toe shoes again. It's not an issue. And, and, and you know me, I believe in being decent. I believe in, in looking right. But it's not an issue 
of my clothes that I'm wearing. I, I think that's a minor issue. It's, it's not an issue of some other little things in my life, but it rather is an issue that God in His righteousness is making my life holy. He's getting on the inside, and He's beginning to make me holy. And hey, some of it's going to come out to the outside, and I believe in that. But that's not where God starts. He doesn't start from the outside. He starts on the inside and begins to make me holy. God, He is the completion of holiness. I can't do it on my own. Say, well, I just want to be holy. I can't do it on my own. It's got to be Christ in me. The hope of glory. Amen. Wow. He's the only begotten of God. Only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. I guess the conclusion of the matter. I want to close this morning right now. The conclusion of the matter. Would, Would musicians come up for just a minute? The conclusion would be this. Is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head, the mouth, the eyes, the ears, the legs, the feet, the toes, the arms, the hands, the fingers of what we thought was God in an Old Testament has come to life in a new covenant. I guess that's why the scripture says he's all in all. We don't need to look outside of him. He is everything. That that song, um, it's the old song, I I Surrender, um, All to Jesus I Surrender. If we know that he is all things, then we only give up ourselves to that which is complete. I'm only going to surrender myself to the one who is all things this morning. I surrender. surrender to Jesus. Make Him the fullness of your life. Make Him the fullness of your life. Would you bow your heads with me right now? I just want to pray for those. Say, Pastor, I want to surrender. I don't care if you've been in church all your life. Say, Pastor, I want to surrender. I want to re-surrender everything up to the Lord right now. God, that I would go on in revelation in you. That I would go on in knowing you, understanding you. Would you raise your hands right now? And I'm gonna pray with you. Amen. Let's just let's just open our hearts to the Lord Jesus. We just ask you for everyone to raise their hand this morning, Lord. And I'm serious about this thing, Lord. The more that time goes on, the more the way the world is, the more unsteady things are. There is one single hope in our life, and that is that we center ourselves in you. 
Lord, I ask you, oh God, that every heart would surrender, Lord. Every life. Some may be getting cold, Lord. There's some that are cold here this morning. There's some whose lives have been, have been lukewarmed by the world. But I pray this morning, God, that they will see their desire has got to rest in you, Lord. Their hope has got to rest. Their eternity, Lord, has got to rest in you. We pray it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, just surrender to the Lord just this last time and we'll be dismissed. Can we just give the Lord a hand clap and thank you?